Well, if I had to guess, um, <clears throat> I would say that most of us enjoy a good sandwich. I mean, sam sandwiches, they're that kind of meal that we can all get on board with, right? Because there's a sandwich out there for everybody. Sandwiches are so versatile. There's literally a sandwich for everyone. And in a sense, sandwiches, I would say, are the epitome of diversity. Yeah, that's right. You know, diversity is a very popular word today, isn't it? We're always striving for diversity. Well, I would say sandwiches epitomize diversity because there's something for everyone. I mean, think about it. They can be open. They can be closed. You have brown bread, white bread, wheat, whole grain, multigrain, oatmeal, butter bread, gluten-free bread. You can eat them whole, you can cut them in half, you can cut them into squares, you can cut them into triangles, you can have the crust on, the crust off, and that's just, that's just the bread. What about what you put in the middle? Doesn't matter if you're a meat eater, if you're a, a vegan, a vegetarian, a pescatarian, we can all get on board with a good sandwich. You know, when I think about it, with all the world's problems today, perhaps sandwiches are what can bring us together sandwiches and what can heal the world because we can all get on board with a good sandwich. Did you know actually that November 3rd is National Sandwich Day? Sure, I'm not making it up. November 3rd is National Sandwich Day. And so while you're all thinking about voting on November 3rd, I can't because I'm not a US citizen, I'll be thinking about sandwiches. Now, is there a, an official definition of what a sandwich actually is? Well, actually, yes, there is. And believe it or not, in 2006, there was a US court in Boston, our very own Boston, that ruled that a sandwich in, includes at least two slices of bread. And, quote, under this definition, the court finds that the term sandwich is not commonly understood to include burritos, tacos, and quesadillas. See, learning something this morning. Um, the, by the way, the basis for that court um, that court problem was that it was to do with a non-compete clause that you would find, say, in shopping malls and, and in the food court. And the idea was that you couldn't, if somebody had a sandwich place, they didn't want, say, a, a taco place or a quesadilla place opening in competition. And so there was this court case that actually said, no, there is a difference. So you can have a sandwich place and you can also have a taco place. But their definition is two, two slices of bread. Now you might question that because you know, what about the fold over? Kind of one, anyway. But where do we even get the name sandwich from? Because the, the chances are that you know, uh, having some meat between two pieces of bread or whatever, that's probably been going on for thousands of years. But the, the actual, the term sandwich and the invention of the sandwich has been attributed to an Englishman by the name of John Montague. And he was the fourth Earl of Sandwich, this town called Sandwich, in England. And this was kind of in the 1700s. And the story goes that he was, this uh, Earl of Montague, he was quite the gambler. Um, and especially he loved playing cards and especially loved playing the game cribbage. And because he was so into his gambling and his game, he wanted to be able to eat without having to stop playing. And so he instructed his servants to bring him meat tucked between two pieces of bread. And it worked well because it allowed him to continue playing cards while eating, not having to use a fork, and without getting his cards all greasy from directly eating meat with his bare hands. 
And so here we are, 300 plus years later, and a sandwich has become a staple food in our country, in our culture, and many places across the world. Now, why am I telling you this? I mean, we're not in a gastronomy class, are we? Why am I, why am I telling you this all? It's information about the sandwich, apart from making you probably now hungry for a sandwich. But I'm telling you this because the psalm that we just read this morning, Psalm 30, is essentially a big prayer sandwich. That's right. It's a big prayer sandwich. It's got Essentially, it's got two slices of praise with a generous helping of confession in the middle. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this sandwich so that we can make our own prayer sandwiches and pack them for the day. So let's begin with our first slice. Because what do you do when you make a sandwich? You've got to you take a slice of bread. You've got to butter it up and do whatever you're going to do with it. So we take our first slice, our first prayer slice. And this would essentially be verses 1 through 5 of this psalm. Um, now there's some, there's some question about who wrote the psalm. Um, because the, the superscript at the top says this, a psalm, a song with a dedication of the temple of David. And so um, there are a number of, many folks who say, well, obviously David can't have written this psalm because the temple wasn't built in David's lifetime. He didn't build the temple, his son Solomon did. So therefore it can't be David because this was for the dedication of the temple. Um, the other side to that is, well, no, actually it could well have been written by David, but written by him in advance. Him knowing that the temple was going to be built and that he had written this in advance to uh, to be read when the dedication of the temple happened. So, you know, it doesn't really make any difference to the substance of the psalm. It's also a reminder to us that David did write a lot of the psalms, but he didn't write them all by any means. There are other authors to the psalm. But I think for, um, for argument's sake, I'm going to go with, I think David wrote this psalm. Um, and I just want you to think of it through that lens, that these are David's words and that there's a lot we can learn um, through David. He's teaching us things by this, um, by this psalm. So what's going on in this psalm? Well, basically, David is, is thanking God for rescuing him from some kind of illness, some kind of dire straits he was in. And uh, this was obviously a very, very serious illness that looked like it was going to kill him because um, the, the wording he uses sounds like he literally had one foot in the grave. But the Lord's brought him through this, and he begins in verse 1 by saying, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. So he's praising God for what seemed like an irreversible situation. It seemed like, you know, his, his luck was out, and that the situation was irreversible. And let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever felt, just felt down in the dumps? Or worse still, perhaps you, you felt like you're in the depths of despair and I know for some people that's something that perhaps just lasts a day for others it lasts weeks or months perhaps even years of feeling just just down just depressed and there's a reason we use words like down in the dumps and in the depth of despair and it's because these things such as depression uh, anger despair sickness illness they bring us down they get you down. They bring your spirits down. And the language that David is using here when he talks about you lifted me out of the depths, he's using the language and the imagery of somebody uh, pulling or drawing water from a well. And so I want you to imagine, imagine being trapped at the bottom of a dark, 
deep, damp well where it's cold. And then imagine being, being pulled up, drawn back up into the light, into the warmth. Well, this is what God has done in this situation. This is what he has done for David. And that's why he's exalting the Lord. He goes on in verse 2. And David, he says, he called for God to help and God healed him. So what does David do in these circumstances? He doesn't wander further from God. No, he calls out to God and God healed him. And it's a reminder to, to you and I that when we are in the depths, when we're having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, whatever it is, when we are in the depths, we need to call out. We need to call out, cry out to the Lord and he will respond. He will, will respond. David keeps going on in verse 3 about how low he'd gotten, how much trouble he was in. He says, Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down to the pit. David realizes how low he'd sunk. And so his natural response, and so should ours be, by the way, is in verse 4, to sing praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. Sing praises. Do you notice how there is a connection between singing and praise. There's a, there's a very profound connection there. There's something about using our voices. There's something about the power and the intimacy of the human voice that is second to none. In, in the countless gigs I've done over the years, and I work with vocalists a lot, something I always noticed, no matter how good the musicians in the band was, no matter how talented the, the piano player or the drummer was or whatever, people are always drawn to the vocalist. And it's because the voice, the voice alone, has a unique power, a unique intimacy that nothing else has. It really speaks a lot about our personality and who we are. And so there's this connection between singing, between using our voices, between making music that is powerful when we are worshipping. And it's not about the quality of your voice. God doesn't care if you're tone deaf or not. He's listening to your heart when you sing and praise Him. What's in there? What's coming out in your heart can come out through your mouth and through your voice and one of the reasons David is singing is because God's anger lasts only a moment but his favor lasts a lifetime God's anger only lasts a moment but his favor lasts a lifetime and um, when I read this verse it immediately got me thinking about my own kids like most of you know Sarah and I we got two little girls and Dove our oldest is about three and a half years old and she's at that stage right now where she is testing and testing us she knows the right buttons to press the right strings to pull and her favorite word is no and um, the honest truth is yes there are many frustrating moments through the week and there are times where i get angry with dove because she's being disobedient or she's, she's being deliberately obstinate or something like that. And there's, there's these moments of anger. But you know what? Those moments are temporary. They're gone like that because of the great, great love I have for her. My love for her will never, ever change. It will never diminish. And I will love her eternally. I will love her for the rest of her life and into eternity, I pray. And it's the same deal with God. There may be times where we are, we're sinful, we're disobedient, we do things that displease God. But that anger and the discipline that he uh, will sometimes give us only lasts a moment compared 
to the eternal love he has for us. His favor lasts a lifetime. And we have to put that in perspective, that his favor and his love are massively disproportionate to the, the amount of anger or um, discipline that the Lord might bring to our lives. He loves us, and that is his overarching feeling towards us. David, he reinforces this eternal love with this, this beautiful word, uh, verse that comes right after that says, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Folks, we are unquestionably in the middle of a dark night in our society right now. We are in those dark hours of the night. And I know for many of you, you might be feeling burnt out right now. You might be feeling anxious, worried, disheartened by, by everything that we are seeing and reading day in, day out. And it might feel overwhelming. You might be feeling, how, how is this ever going to change? How are we ever going to get out of this? Is this going to be a permanent night time? And I just I want to tell you, I want to encourage you that the morning is coming. A new day will dawn and the sun will rise again. And with it will come rejoicing as we realize that we have come through the long, dark night. You know, one of the things I, I love about the summer it's not these 91 degree days we're having right now. Don't love that too much. But something I do love is the longer days. The longer days. The nights are shorter. You know, this morning the sun rose at 5.07 a.m. And it won't set until 8.26 p.m. tonight. That means, if my math is correct, and I'm not the best mathematician, but if I'm right, that means that we will have over 15 hours of daylight today and less than 8 hours of darkness. Joy comes in the morning and the morning will always come. And that joy that seems so far away right now, it is coming. Be ready because it is coming. We will get through this night. I promise you. Why do I promise you? Because the Lord tells us we will. Now, Let's not forget here, we are analyzing and picking apart a sandwich right now. So we just looked at the first praise slice, as I like to call it. And now as we enter verses 6 to 10, we're getting to the filling part of the sandwich. And for David, this is confession. This is David confessing before the Lord. And through his confession, we actually get to the root of the problem as to why David was having problems and issues. He says in verses 6 and 7, When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. So what's the problem here? Well, the problem is David was getting cocky. He was getting overconfident. He was getting full of himself. He was saying, you know what? Life is great. Things are going really well. Nothing can shake me. I'm the man. And as often is the case with all of us, not just David, but with all of us, this funny thing happens. When, when life is good, when things are going well, when you've got extra money in your pocket, the bills are paid, you've got a nice house, you've, you've got your health, 
and everything's going nice and smoothly, this funny thing happens. And you know what it is? We tend to drift from God. We get overly confident in our abilities to manage and control our lives. We start to believe the illusion that we are actually in control. I mean, think about it. What do you need God for when life's hunky-dory? What do I need God for when the bills are paid? What do I need God for when my marriage is going great and I've got my health and my kids are good and healthy? What do I need God for? Everything's good. I'm all set, as people like to say. And so because David, David's come to this place, things are going real good for David, and he didn't believe he needed God anymore. And so what happened? He experienced God's absence. He says, when you hid your face, I was dismayed. He suddenly realized, he came to this realization, wait, where, where, where is God in my life? Often, you know, we don't realize just how much we need God in our lives until we are distant from him. We withdraw from God because we think we're all set. I mean, think about it. How, how many people do you know? who said they used to go to church regularly. And they perhaps they, they were involved deeply with their church. They were involved in ministries. They were doing all kinds of things. They were growing in their faith. They were in Bible studies. They were, they were um, you know, uh, really involved in their faith community. And, and all of a sudden, they, they've just drifted off. And you get this, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, used, to, yeah, I used to go to church all the time. I was, used to be involved in lots of things, you know. And, uh, you know, life, life happens, you know. Kids got involved in sports, uh, you know. Life, life, huh? I, I, you know, I gotta get back sometime. I know, I know. How many times have you heard that? If I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, I'd, I'd be a rich guy. But we buy into this illusion that we are the masters of our own fate, that we're in control. And then what happens? Something like right now happens, where a pandemic comes out of nowhere, a plague comes upon us and completely transforms everything rips out everything you thought you could rely on that was safe and steady and add on to that social unrest because of the murder of George Floyd and the revolution that that has sparked and all of a sudden everything that you thought was safe and solid is changed it's an illusion that we are in control and folks the, the times we are living in right now are and should be used by us as a reality check that without God in our lives, we are helpless. But again, let's learn from David. Let's learn from this psalm. What does he see? When David recognized his predicament, when he recognized that God was far away and distant in his life, that there was this hole there, what did he do? Did he just continue in his way and keep saying, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I got to get back to church, or yeah, I got to get back into my Bible, yeah, I got to, I know, I got to spend some time with the Lord. No, what does he do? Verse 8, to you, Lord, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. Folks, we always have a choice. We always have a choice of whether to choose the Lord, whether to turn back to him or not. And, you know, no matter how long it's been or how distant you might feel from God, you can always call out, you can always cry out and he will be there. The fact is God never really left you. God, he's, he's everywhere. He's, he's all present. But we withdraw from him and so God 
steps back too. And he's waiting for you to call his name so that he can answer you and turn your nighttime weeping into joy. So David lays out his heart, confesses, realizes his error, realizes where he's gone wrong. He's got overconfident, full of himself, and he's withdrawn from God, and he turns back. And so now we come finally to the topping of the sandwich that brings it all together, that second slice of praise. Verses 11 and 12, he says, You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. And why? That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. There's, there's that singing again that we associate with praise. You know, don't say, oh, I just don't have a great voice. Well, it's not about your voice. Express it through your singing. And uh, David says there, my heart sing your praises and not be silent. You know, something, a trend I've noticed recently in our, in our climate today is that many people are saying that um, if you don't directly and publicly and obviously speak out about racism, then you, has, you are complicit in the problem. And the, the, the sentiment, the idea is, is that silence is complicity. Now, regardless of what you think about the points of view of that, I want to turn us back to God. Because when, when it comes to God, it should actually be impossible for us to remain silent for us not to sing, for us not to praise him. Because when we start to realize all that he has done for us, remaining silent is not an option. You know, when the Pharisees tried to get Jesus to rebuke his disciples because they were praising Jesus, they were recognizing him as the Son of God and singing Hosanna to uh, the highest. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You see, folks, at the center of our souls, at the center of our hearts, in our deepest yearnings and desires, whether we fully realize it or not, and many don't, we have a deep, deep desire to connect with God and to repair what has been broken. We, we were created to communicate and to express ourselves to God. And this prayer sandwich, this example that Psalm 30 is, that David gives us, is it's full of feelings, it's full of expressiveness, it's full of open, honest dialogue with God. Think about it, just in this psalm, the psalmist, he exalts God, rejoices, cries, sings praises, gives thanks, weeps, cries out, experiences joy, mourning, gladness, he dances, he listens. All that just in this short psalm. This psalm is a, is a model for us of how to give thanks and confess all in one, all wrapped up. And notice that um, um, we sandwich, David, he sandwiches his issues, his confession, whatever it might be, with praise. Because praise and thanksgiving are the bigger parts of the sandwich and that's because God is bigger than our problems. David was, was full of praise and thanksgiving largely because of one word, reversal. Reversal. God had reversed David's circumstances. Anger to favor, joy to mourning. 
mourning to dancing, sickness to health, self-independence to dependence on God, God's absence to God's presence. And folks, we are the most blessed of all people because we have reason to be thankful to God for the greatest reversal that God ever did, which was to reverse the death of Jesus on the cross to resurrection and to reverse the curse of sin and death to eternal life. So we have reason to be even more thankful than David, as blessed as he was. But ultimately, with this psalm that we have, David, essentially, he gave us a gourmet prayer sandwich. And he gave us the recipe. So folks, choose your bread, get your fillings, and let's get making some sandwiches. Let's pray. Father, just we thank you so much that um, through your word we have so many examples and models of how we can open up our hearts to you, how we can express ourselves and talk to you. How, Lord, your, your desire is for dialogue, is for us to present our needs and our complaints before you, Lord, to praise you and to give you thanks. It's what any good father would want their child to do. And so, Lord, we thank you that we have um, a way to do that because your son Jesus opened the doors to that communication where we come, come directly before you, boldly approach your throne. And so Lord, I just pray this week that you would help us to make plenty of sandwiches, Lord, prayer sandwiches, where we would praise you, we would lift up our needs to you, and we would end in praise as well. Let us never forget, Lord, that you love us, that your anger only lasts a moment, but your favor lasts a lifetime. And while there may be weeping in the night, joy comes in the morning. Help us to hang on to that hope, Lord, and to know that, Lord, we will get through this dark night that we are in right now. And what is lying on the other side is the sun, light, and hope. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.